Good morning. Thank you for being here. I, uh, I have, the last couple of weeks have not been up here, but I have been here online and it has given me honestly a, uh, a deep appreciation for you guys showing up every single Sunday, but also a new appreciation for those of you who are joining us online. I rarely think to look at these cameras and so going forward, we'll probably get cutouts of some of your faces to put them on the cameras to remind me to look at them. So if you get your picture taken on the way out, that's what that is, all right? Nothing to be worried about. So, um, and a huge thank you to, excuse me, David Perez and Ryan Long. Will you give them a hand? These last couple of weeks, they brought messages that uh, very timely. We needed to hear them. David Perez with the reminder to rejoice in the Lord. And the word was always, always, which has been a challenge this year, hasn't it? And then last week, uh, Ryan Long kicked off our Christmas series, Christmas Presents taking God out of our boxes, and a special, special, special thank you to Ryan Long for sharing about how I got fired from Tuscany Coffee at Southwest Plaza, and now that I have the microphone, I'm going to set the record straight, okay? If anything or anyone got fired, I fired that job, okay? I, I just, I realize food service, it's not my gifting, it's not my wiring, it's not my desiring, okay? It just, it wasn't for me. So I want to set the record straight before Ryan gets fired from this, this job. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He did a great job. Well, I want to take about 40 seconds here. I want to teach you guys my favorite Christmas party trick, and you may not be able to use this this year with the, the limitations on gatherings, but for years... Uh, I, I was always faced with this dilemma of finding a gift to bring to the White Elephant Gift Exchange at the last minute because I didn't plan ahead. And so I finally, I finally learned this trick and I did it every single year with the youth group. And even when they knew it was coming, they still fell for it. So what you do is you figure out what the spending limitation is on a gift. Let's say it's 10 bucks. You take a $10 bill, you take your wrapping paper and you just do this and you set it on the pile. And then you sit back and you watch as that thing gets picked last every single time. And then when the person who opens it opens it, you get to watch everybody fight and friendships end and crying and yelling and it's Merry Christmas. So, but I bring all that up because we all, every single one of us in here have grown up or, or we've heard this idea that sounds great. You don't judge a book by its cover. You, you look deeper than the surface. You don't judge by appearances. And yet the white elephant trick reminds all of us that deep inside all of us, we will do exactly that, won't we? It's interesting to me, especially in the church, because we get to Christmas and I don't know anybody that has a problem with embracing the gift of God as a baby given to us at Christmas time. But something very interesting happens the rest of the year. As I look at my own life, as I listen to other people and they talk about their lives, what happens is the rest of the year, God gets put in some boxes. And we put some wrapping paper, or we put some packaging around God that we think sums up and we figured out and describes how God operates and who God is. And we'll put him in some boxes, won't we? And, and it's almost like we carry him at arm's length and we forget about the gift that he gave us at Christmas time. Ryan Long, uh, he introed last week with one of those boxes that for some of us, or maybe all of us at one time or another in life, we can see God and we can put him in the box of unapproachable, can't we? 
I mean, isn't it true? We can, we can look at them and we think, well, God, you're so holy and I'm so not. And so I can't approach you. And yet God responds to every single box. In fact, when you look at the Christmas story, it's the story of God getting beyond and outside every single box we could ever put him in. Because if God was truly unapproachable, he would have come as a king on a throne in a palace, heavily guarded. That's not how he showed up. See, the reminder of Christmas is that he came as a baby, in the form of a baby, in a manger, very accessible. And we're invited to hold that baby in our hearts and with our lives. Now for you, that may not be the box that you're, you often deal with putting God in. Maybe for you, it's not unapproachable God, it's unreasonable God. Because maybe you grew up in a church or you, you knew people who grew up who taught you that God, it's about these, these standards and rules and obedience and it's up to you and it's, on, it's, it's up to your ability to obey in your strength. And after a while, you just go, you know what? I'm just gonna lower the bar to my standards and I'm gonna live my life and I'm just gonna do the best I can. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Or maybe for you, it's not unapproachable or unreasonable. Maybe it's unreliable. Because I talk to many people who are looking left and right. And the people around them are saying, well, I hear everybody around me saying, God's showing up here. And God's showing up here and he's answering this prayer. And he's been so faithful and he's been so good to us. And yet they look at their own lives and they think, that's great for them, but I'm not experiencing that. I'm still waiting on God to answer this prayer that I've prayed over and over. I'm, I just can't see him anywhere. We'll talk about that as well in the coming weeks. But this morning, I wanna talk about a box that we can all get, we can, we can all put God in at some point or another. And it's this box called incapable God, especially in 2020. I mean, we've talked about this over and over, but how many people have you talked to that they think, you know, they have no issue with the idea that God was powerful enough to create the mountains and the oceans and everything we see and us as human beings. But when we look at what's happening, happening globally or nationally or locally or even personally, there's this sense of going, God, can't you do something about that? I mean, are you, are you capable of doing anything like that? And this gets really difficult when you think back if you've tried to, if you've had a relationship with God for any amount of time and you think back to the beginning of it, it's interesting because when you listen to people's stories, they're often, they often start at a point of power. You know, when they, when they gave their life to Jesus, it was a powerful experience. I'll never forget the first time I gave my life to Jesus. And I'll clarify that first time in a moment. I was in elementary school and my friend's family invited me to go with them downtown Denver to McNichols Sports Arena, home of the Denver Nuggets at the time. And we went to McNichols Sports Arena to see this Christian bodybuilding team. They were called the Power Team. Okay, and I remember, yeah, see some, finally, some people who know what I'm talking about. First couple of services were like, what? All right, so we go see the power team and all night, it's like these incredible feats of strength. I mean, they're breaking cinder blocks. They're lighting boards on fire and with bare hands, chopping them in half, lifting weights and everything, every, everything is in the name of Jesus. And, and to cap the evening off, like the grand finale, this guy comes out, his biceps are bigger than my waist. And he's like, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna rip seven phone books in half in three minutes. 
Sure enough, at about two minutes and 58 seconds in, he's ripped the seventh phone book in half. And I just remember thinking it was like this, this, as I look back, this visible display of God's power. And he got done and he said, I did that in the name of Jesus. And if you want to live your life for Jesus, come forward right now. And whether I wanted to or not, my friend's mom just, just like shoved me right down the, right down the aisle. But see, I wanted to go because God's power was so visible. And honestly, it was so logical. I thought, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to look like that bodybuilder right there. It's going to be awesome. Well, a few years went by. And now I'm in junior high. And one summer, my family, we were in in Phoenix, Arizona on vacation. Yes, Phoenix in the summer. I I don't know why. But uh, anyhow, we end up at this Sunday morning worship service. And this time, God's power showed up in a different way than I was used to and I was even looking for. It wasn't visible and it wasn't logical. It was emotional. And I remember it might've been the lights and it might've been the atmosphere. It might've been the music, but something drew me at the end of the service again, they said, if you wanna give your life to Jesus, come forward. And something drew me forward and I gave my life to Jesus a second time because isn't this what we do? We're worried the first time didn't take. So we're gonna give it the second time. Well, a few years later, now I'm in youth group in high school here at this church, and the youth group was meeting in what is now the chapel building. And this time, it wasn't visible power of God, and it wasn't emotional power. This time, it was relational. I remember one night at youth group, somebody said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, they didn't say come forward. They said, I want you to shut your eyes. Nobody shuts their eyes, okay? Nobody shuts their eyes. But I want you to shut your eyes and raise your hand. And of course, I'm like, well, all my friends are doing it. So Jesus, I'm back. I'm back. Gave my life to Jesus the third time. In each of those, I remember as I think back to those moments, it was powerful. There was, a, there was a moment that was marked by some sort of power in the moment. But then years later, I ran into, I ran into a, a difficulty. I don't know how I came across it. But I remember coming across this article that was showing how you can tear a phone book in half, how anybody can do it. You just, you just bend the phone book enough to where you're just tearing one to two to three pages at a time. And I remember thinking back to that night at the power team and suddenly it wasn't as powerful to me. It's like when you learn how to do a magic trick where you go, oh, suddenly that's not as cool. It's not as powerful as I thought it was. And then there was another point years later where, as we all know and have experienced, when faith isn't inspiring and when faith isn't exciting and circumstances are tough and things are difficult. And I remember thinking back to that morning in Phoenix, Arizona and going, what was that that morning? I mean, God, was that you? Was that your power? Or was it the coffee? And did I have indigestion? And maybe something moved me to the front of that room that I thought was you, but maybe it wasn't. And then maybe the toughest part was years later, after watching people who raised their hands that same night at youth group as I did, who are now leaving their faith. And and there's been distance, you know, distance, sometimes just some relationships, you just, you grow apart and there's distance over the years. And I remember looking around and thinking, God, was, was any of this you? I mean, as I look at things right now, I, those are good memories and they're fond memories, and they seem so powerful in the moment. But can't we all come up against that dynamic where we go, God, are you, are you capable 
of doing anything in my life? Are you, are you powerful enough to do anything about what we're seeing in the news and in the headlines and in our country and even globally? And can you do anything about a pandemic? Are you there? See, what does faith look like? What does trust and what does assurance look like when the elements that drew us to God and made us think he was so powerful when they don't seem so present? And it's with that in mind, I want to talk to you. I want to look at the Christmas. The, the, it's, a, it's a passage that's often associated with Christmas in Luke chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about two people. Because there are two people who have probably had every right and as much right as anybody to look around at their lives and look at what was going on and think, God, you're not capable. God, I don't know if you're all that powerful. And you know what happened? God showed up. Now, the first person I want to tell you about is a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah, I don't know if he knew God, um, his power in, on a, in a visible way or an emotional way or a relational way. But the thing we know about Zechariah is he knew it in a professional way, in a vocational way, because Zechariah was a priest. And the thing about priests is that there was, there was a lot of corruption that happened with priests. But we're told by Luke that Zechariah was a righteous and devoted priest. This was, a, this was a guy that if you needed some answers, especially when it came to faith and it came to just anything even religious at the time, you could go to a teacher of the law and you'd walk away feeling about this big, but you could go to a priest as well. I mean, Zechariah was the kind of guy that you could go to for answers. And Luke gives us one detail that seems unrelated that's actually gonna become a really big deal. He says that Zechariah and his wife were childless. And so that's where we're gonna pick up right after that detail. Zechariah is in the temple. He's burning incense to the Lord and something happens. Luke chapter one, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, you gotta understand that coming to this point for, for over four centuries, there's no known or recorded interaction of an angel with people or even a, a prophet getting a message from the Lord. And so this is a really big deal on a really big scale. But it's also a really big deal in Zechariah and Elizabeth's wife. Because here's this prayer they've been praying over and over and over. We just want a child. Lord, we just want a child. Lord, just give us a child. And an angel shows up, God shows up and says to you, if you're Zechari Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. I mean, just put yourself in those shoes for a minute. This is huge. Which is why Zechariah's response is so puzzling. Listen to Zechariah, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, it's easy to just skim past that. But if you keep following that conversation, you know what the angel says? Because the angel can see what's really going on here. Zechariah's statement is not just, a, oh, okay, well, just how can I be sure? This is a belief thing. The angel points out in a few moments, Zechariah, 
you didn't believe. You've been asking for this, but you didn't believe. And we're reading this, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, Zechariah, you're the guy that people come, you're the professional. You're the guy people come to to get assurance, to ask these questions. And yet, you don't have any assurance? And personally, I think it had everything to do with the way that Zechariah had encountered God. In much the same way we look to encounter God and evidence of his power, maybe in a visible way or an emotional way or a relational way. Zechariah knew, knew about God in a professional way, carrying out priestly duties, going into the temple, doing what a priest was supposed to do. But when it came to the personal level, there was no belief. There was nothing there. And yet here's God himself. What would it take if you had prayed over and over and over for something to happen? If God sent an angel of the Lord and said, your prayer has been heard, it's gonna happen. What would it take to believe that? You and I would think, oh, done, done. But see, something happens. Doesn't something happen when you pray a prayer long enough and you don't see an answer? Belief starts to dwindle. And belief begins to drain out of the tank a little bit, doesn't it? And yet what we learn here is, is very much this idea that God, the question is not, is God capable? It's, are we available? Because God was there saying, I will answer the prayer. I can do it. I will do it. I'm gonna do it. But Zechariah's response had to do with the availability of his heart. The question is not, is God capable? It's, am I available? Am I adaptable? Am I amenable? Am I open to what God is putting before me? You know, I've been reminded of this a lot as a Michigan Wolverines fan because here's what happens every single year. This is gonna be the year. I think this is the year. They're gonna win the title. They're gonna win the championship. I mean, they've got all the pieces together. They've got everything in place. And then what do, what do you do when your, your team that you follow, that you love, that you're just sure it's the year, what do you do on that first loss? Well, let me tell you what happens, okay? Because this happened, this happened three times this year, okay? Carol's like, what's wrong, Nathan? What's wrong? I was like, football's dumb. It's just dumb. They're losing again. Why would anybody waste three hours on a Saturday watching this, right? Our belief just goes right out the window. Our hope goes right out the window. You wanna know why? I mean, I've prayed for that team. But when God doesn't answer according to my picture of what his power should look like, you know, we begin to lose faith. We begin to lose hope. And that's why you've got to see the second person that this angel goes to. Same passage, but this angel visits a second person. Now, before we get there, I just need to show you one blurb that is quickly becoming my favorite part of Luke chapter one. Because here's what happens. The angel says to Zechariah, because you didn't believe, you are now going to be mute. You're going to be silent for the entire time your wife is pregnant. Now go home. So Zechariah goes home, and this isn't up on the screen, but let me read it to you. Verse 24 of Luke chapter one. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And then she makes this statement that I thought I knew what this meant all these years. But listen to her statement. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And as you read this, you think, well, of course she's referring to the pregnancy. And then I thought, you know what? She just got her husband silenced for nine months. 
And Zechariah's wondering where God's at. And Mary's like, or Elizabeth's like, Merry Christmas. I shared that at the second service. My wife was in the back and I look back and she's like, and I was like, you're, you're agreeing a little too much, honey. Anyhow, she goes on. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, the angel now is going to go visit, excuse me, someone else. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. Okay, you read about angels in scripture, but Gabriel is like, he's a big one. He's a real big one. I mean, you, you read about him quite a bit. But he sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And now Mary's going to ask a question. And based on what we just saw with Zechariah, you want to say, don't do this. Mary, don't do this because this didn't end well for Zechariah. But Mary asks a question related to, to Zechariah's, but a little bit different. Listen to her question in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, I want you to notice something there. See, Mary's question had nothing to do with her assurance or her belief. Mary's question had everything to do with wanting to know just, God, how is this going to look? See, it's as if Mary is saying, I I believe you. I just would really like to know how that's going to look. And isn't that what we face quite a bit? I mean, Jesus, you promised to build your church. But in the middle of a pandemic, I've got to ask you, I I mean, I believe you, but how does that look? Whereas Zechariah's question was about faith. How can I be assured? How can I be assured? And here's why I think this is a big deal. Because when you look at how Zechariah was used to experiencing God and his power, it was, in the, it was in the vein of being a priest. In other words, one part of his life experienced God, but there was a personal part he had no faith in. But Mary, Mary's life was wide open. I mean, think about it. The angel Gabriel came to Nazareth. If you read in John chapter one, there's a man named Nathaniel who meets Jesus, who's from Nazareth. They say, they say Jesus, we found the savior. We found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. You know what Nathaniel said? Nazareth? I mean, can anything good come from there? And yet here in Luke 1, we've got this angel Gabriel showing up in the most unlikely of places. Not just the most unlikely of places. He's showing up to the most unlikely of people. A woman in a culture that didn't value women very highly. And Mary was a peasant. She was young. She was a virgin. She was uneducated. And yet we're reminded that perhaps the posture that we need is that of Mary that knows that God can do anything, any place, any time with anyone. 
Because when you figure that out, when you resolve that in your heart, you know what? The thought that God is incapable leaves. God gets strikingly outside of that box. That just because the answer or the display of his power isn't the way I think it should look, doesn't make him any less powerful at all. Well, this conversation continues. The, the angel is gonna, answer, <clears throat> is gonna answer Mary with this. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So you want to know what assurance looks like? Assurance is knowing that God is present even when he looks powerless. Even when he shows up in an unli- when we're in an unlikely place, we see, we see ourselves as unlikely people at an unlikely time. It's knowing God's present. And it may not be this just snapping the fingers and fixing everything. I mean, it's possible. It's possible that Jesus promised to, grow, uh, to build his church in the middle of a pandemic it may be that his power is, is sustaining us to get up and put one foot in front of the, of the other every single day. See, assurance comes from knowing that he is present even when he looks, when, when he looks uh, powerless. And if we know he's present, even when he looks powerless, do you know what we do? We ask for an encounter. When you think God is incapable, ask God for an encounter because that was the thing that would make the difference for Zechariah here, right? It's that he had an encounter with God outside of his priestly duties in a different area of his life. That was the thing that would deepen things for Mary, that she would have an encounter with our heavenly father and Mary's response. I love Mary's response because when you get to the point where you have an encounter with God, you know what happens? You begin to be eyes wide open on every single area of life. There's an old story, and then we'll get to Mary's response. There's an old story about a young boy who on the way home from school, he'd walk two miles every single day and he would pass a flower shop and his thought was, there's nothing there for me. And then he'd walk by this candy shop that he'd been to before, but he didn't really like their selection. And he thought there's nothing in there for me. And he'd go past the church and he'd think there's nothing there for me. And then he'd pass a store and he'd think there's nothing there for me. And then one day, you know what he had? He had an encounter with a girl that so captured his heart. And those places took on new meaning. Those places, much like the areas of our lives that we think God has been so incapable in. Suddenly this boy starts seeing each place differently with her in mind. He passes the flower shop and he thinks, oh, I can get, what can I do for her there? He passes the candy shop. What can I do for her there? He passes the church and he remembers she talked about wanting to get married there one day. And he thinks of her. He goes to the store and he gets something for her there. See, this is what happens when you ask for an encounter. God's power is that he reshapes and he reframes every single area of our lives. It's personal. It's personal. So asking for an encounter is not the hard part. The hard part is what Mary responded with. 
in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Some translations say, may it be in me as you have said. See, Zechariah, Zechariah had a picture of God in which God served Zechariah. But Mary had a picture of God that said, God, I serve you. And when you get that, when you get that, when you have that encounter and you say, I am your servant, may it be in me as you have said, you know what happens? I mean, for Mary, she literally engaged with Jesus arriving in her life at that point. And that is the point where you and I engage with Jesus and his advent, his arrival in our lives. And so as the worship team comes back out, one question. And the question is not, is God capable? The question is, am I available to him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, you know, every single week we could pray thank you because you are a God who for all of the Christmases we've had and for all that the Christmases we will have, it's so easy for us to walk out of December and start putting you in boxes again. And so I ask that uh, whether it's today or in the coming weeks or this month, would you remind us that you went first, that as we look at our lives and we try to figure everything out and we try to, uh, and we cling to this idea that you've got to work according to our picture of your, of your power, would you remind us that you already know You already have it. You went first. And so thank you for the arrival of Jesus in our lives. Thank you that you're a God who, as Ryan said last week, you came and you reminded us. You answered the box of unapproachable with with coming in the form of a baby, an approachable, accessible baby. And today, for the reminder that when we look upon you and we see incapable as we look at the headlines and everything else in our lives and, and all the stuff going on in each individual life, remind us that you answer that with an encounter because it's the encounter that assures us beyond a worship service on a Sunday morning, beyond the headlines, beyond the opinions of those to our left and our right. Would you write that on our hearts? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.